sports doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, but I think a lot of coaches across all sports behave as if that is the case, and they and they just end up showing a bit of a, a reckless disregard for the wider community of citizens and uh, that they and their athletes are part of. Um, yeah, we don't learn everything we need to know about life from just one source of experience. So I think there's a challenge for our players um, and for our coaches to not simply label themselves as, you know, um, as a basketball or a footballer. listening to the NZPE TeacherCast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With the ability to track student progress and quiz results, data provided by My Study Series ensures teachers remain informed of how well their students are performing. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 23 of the NZPE TeacherCast. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to mention the upcoming Connector PE conference in Dubai. Most of you will be aware that I'm making a long trip over in a few weeks to present a masterclass on gamification and also a flipped learning session. The conference has four amazing keynote speakers and 10 different masterclass sessions. One of the great things about this conference and something you don't see that often at other conferences is all of these sessions will be available for anyone via live webinar. Each session will be available on replay too. All you need is a membership to the Connected PE community, which I've included a link to in the show notes. As well as access to all of the conference presentations and replays, the Connected PE community has more than 100 hours of high-quality PE-related professional learning. It's well worth membership, and if you haven't seen or heard of the Connected PE community, please do check out the link. Today, I'm pleased to introduce Matt Eagle, a social studies teacher from here at Rongatai College. Matt brings a wealth of knowledge and experience and a pretty unique story having been a student and a teacher here at RC. He is heavily involved in the Wellington basketball community and has some unique thoughts on coaching, which he's going to share. We also get to hear a little bit about Matt's involvement as a student at MindLab, which offers postgraduate training in the digital age. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good to be here. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school and the students, or our school, and the students you teach? Sure. Uh, 30 years now here at Rungatau, um, and as I'm sure your audience know, uh, Boys College uh, next to the airport in Wellington. Uh, started out teaching PE, I was a relief PE teacher for... Ple- I think you mentioned that. Yeah, for uh, John Fiso, who of course set up um, NZIS. NZIS. Um, and I'd, I'd been to school with John um, here previously and uh, so that was kind of cool and that, that went on for a couple of years and then got a permanent position here and um, so over the, the 30 years taught English, geography, tourism, media um, and but predominantly social studies. Um, spent 14 years doing pastoral care work um, <coughs> including senior administration work, um, seven years thereabouts as a leader of professional learning um, and yeah, I think I may I get the seven year itch and start looking for a new challenge. So, you know, I think that's kind of the life cycle of projects in the school. Um, and now I just teach junior social studies classes. So that presents certain challenges, but um, gives you an opportunity to try innovations and so on, which you are a little bit harder to put those in play with senior classes. Um, and I'm an old boy at the school. Um, so I've almost never been away. Um, so you get the opportunity to give back to your own, to, to the place that you know, helped to help to develop you, um, and hopefully you know enrich the wider experience of schooling. Uh, you know, so obviously it's more than just a classroom. Um, I've been coaching for all that time, uh, basketball, and some volleyball along the way, um, thirteen stage challenge co-productions. Uh, three Wellington to Tarnatha Polynesian festivals that I produced, uh, two school trips to Samoa, um, 
And I think you know, the beauty of working at school is you get to try a lot of things. You know, if, if you had your life over again, you know, I might pursue, you know, theatre or might pursue, you know, pursue event management or, you know, professional sports coaching. Those opportunities exist now, but being in a school, you get to experience a lot of those things. Um, and they're, you know, they're just really empowering and add to the richness of your, of your life as a teacher. And they, they build, you know, you build deep connections into your community over that kind of length of time. You know, I'm, t I'm teaching the children of uh, my former students, and that's kind of cool. Mm. Um, and now I'm the president of the Old Boys Association, so um, I'm on another track with the community in that. So, yeah, it's been a bit of an adventure. Yeah, so, you, what would, <clears throat> you, so you've been here a lot, you've been here as a student, you've been here as a, as a teacher. What would you say would be the best thing about Rangatai College? Hands down, the one thing that when people say you what say to you, what's it like teaching at Rangatai? It's um, they're just the, the kids are, are just they're cool kids because they come from yeah you know, it's a real mix it's a you know it's over my time it's been a, a DSL four three to a six ish school but it's incredibly diverse mm. and I think that diversity and particularly the really strong I mean everyone's an immigrant in this nation. Um, you know, 30 years ago we had a lot of Greek students here and you know we came from the, you know, the Greek and the Italian communities of Island Bay and um, you know they're, they're hard-working determined people um, and then over the, the cool thing 30 years is that the world has come to come to my my classroom you know um, you know refugee groups from you know all, to, all, all parts of the world uh, we have a special needs unit here who are just incredibly yeah. enriching to the, the fabric of, of you know the community that we have here at school and I think everyone's working hard um, and those who come into our school who are from more privileged kind of backgrounds they pretty quickly you know I think it, it, it it's it's a little bit humbling not in a conscious way I just think that unconsciously they realize they're with people who are diverse who come from backgrounds that aren't quite like theirs and but then they can all stand along, alongside each other on a sports field or on a stage, and um, and it's just exciting to see how it's changed like that. Yeah, it's the future of our society in many yeah. ways. Yeah, I, I noticed that when I first came here too, the diversity and um, and the culture that that puts within the school. Yeah, because the kids don't have pretensions here. No. You don't get that sense at all that anyone's pretentious. And, mm. um, and that just there's something unique about it. It's always been here. <coughs> you talk to him. Excuse me. <coughs> you talk to you know old boys of other schools, and they it's different for them, and, and, and they kind of they really admire just the, 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 the special kind of spirit that works through the school. It's an interesting one. It'd be a really good study for someone to do. It would be. <laughs> so you've played a significant role in the basketball community in Wellington. Can you tell us what drives you to continue giving back to this community? Um, yeah, it's, it's twofold. I think one's, one's simply the love of the game. It's just such a cool game. Um, I think any, you know, any sport's got it. You know, if, if you love your sport, you love your sport. Um, but I love basketball. And, um, and the second is wanting to provide the same sort of powerful and um, formative experiences that I was lucky to get um, when I was a player and as a young coach. Um, I was really fortunate to play at school at Rongata here under a master coach and teacher, uh, Gareth Rapson, um, who I, you know, I regard him as the father of basketball in this school. Um, and quite apart from the championship journey that he took us on, I just thrived as a student of the game. I wasn't the greatest athlete, I wasn't the most highly skilled player, but I excelled in understanding the game and uh, how to lead a team uh, and began to consciously explore the process of coaching and learning. Um, and I, I was the captain and as my older brother had been and Coach Rapson took me under his wing fed me heaps of coaching material just coming out of the States um, and, and also gave me access to his Sports Illustrated magazines which you had to subscribe to they came from America um, they weren't available in New Zealand shops then and they were just wonderful you know, insightful articles about all aspects of all sports and culture and community and I just found that really, really fascinating. There were, there were lives behind the players and amazing stories about communities and challenges and um, 
players who reached the highest highs and then had the drop down to the lowest lows and um, I just soaked all that up. That was really that was my reading when I was in my you know, late teens, early twenties. Just constantly reading those those articles. I love the culture that comes with basketball and being so withdrawn from that in New Zealand. Mm. Um, like that was you mentioned about the Sports Illustrated and um, back when I was a young kid it was the Slam magazines was really the only insight mm-hmm. unless you I think TV3 used to play um, they had 60 minutes on a Sunday of NBA and it's the only NBA you ever saw because mm-hmm. we, it wasn't broadcasted here and you get these Slam magazines and you just open up a, a, a different world yeah. and I remember because I was always interested in jumping um, seeing the jump soles that they had in the, in the back of oh, the yeah, Slam yeah, magazines yeah, yeah, yeah. and one day I was in Auckland I was maybe 13 years old and I saw these for sale on a holiday and I, I dropped all my holiday money on the first day and I, I spent six weeks training in these shoes and came back to school and, and could, could slam dunk and it was like blown away but just um, and I think we see it now was our, our basketballers and how they've taken from that American culture and they've kind of brought it to our society but not that they've Kiwiized it I think which is, which is really cool to see. I mean, we have yeah, we've got such good athlete, athletic pool in this country. It's a small pool, but it's it, we've got some very, very good athletes, and uh, you know, it's an exciting game to see it developing the way it has in the past, you know, ten years. Um, yeah, more so now with um, you know Adams and so on in the NBA. It's, it's just been really cool. You, you talk a lot about our high school athletes being students before they're athletes, and encourage a focus on academics. This is great in principle, but in my experience and what I've seen, it seems that many schools just pay this kind of lip service. How can we go about ingraining this type of approach in more schools? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's about, it's, it's about not being tunnel vision in anything, because if you're tunnel vision, you're not seeing the bigger picture. And sports doesn't exist in a vacuum, um, but I think a lot of coaches across all sports behave as if that is the case, and they... And they just end up showing a bit of a, a reckless disregard for the wider community of citizens and uh, that they and their athletes are part of. Um, you know, we don't learn everything we need to know about life from just one source of experience. So I think there's a challenge for our players um, and for our coaches to not simply label themselves as you know um, as a basketballer or a footballer. Um, you know, and I understand how consuming sport the sporting experience can be. Uh, you know, especially in the middle of the season and more so if you're having a, a successful you know, ride with your team. Um, you know, I was really privileged to play, play and coach sport to a fairly high level with expert players and coaches as my mentors. But I know that most athletes don't get that level of experience. Uh, you know, only so many teams are going to win. A lot of teams are going to try and some are going to try at different levels. But... Um, you know, despite their deepest hopes. So there's a real responsibility for coaches to ensure they're guiding their athletes to um, respect, savour and nurture the other parts of their lives. Um, and, and because they spend so much intense time with them, um, you know, they, they, they should take on that role of saying, hey, don't forget about your family and don't forget about other things and don't forget about life after sport. Because, you know, Pursuing professional sports, yes, that's a, that's an option, but it's you know, it's only the, the very small percentage that are that are going to make it, and uh, a lot of kids dream of that, but don't 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 dream of other things and work towards other things. A lot of, a lot of um, I see a lot of these kids with their aspirations and their dreams, which is which is fantastic, but um, I don't think they really understand some of those environmental factors that a lot of our elite athletes have gone through and the experiences that they've had to form their skill set and the amount of hard work they've put in. Oh, I often yeah. talk to kids and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go NBA. And I'm like, I, I saw you maybe a week ago with a basketball in your hands, but when was the last time you you were you know, fully engrossed in, in your goal and your aspirations? It's like they think that it's just going to be a little bit of hard work without understanding just how much effort goes into this. Yeah, yeah that's right. And it's... Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a fool's paradise. You know, nothing in life is going to come easy, and um, that's worth having. Um, but I think you know, it's it's 
there's, there's more to life than sports. Sports is really powerful and it's got a, it's got a you know, really important role to play in our communities and for individuals, but it's, you know, it doesn't sit in isolation. Here's, here's something that I learned from Coach Rapson, and I, I do it with school teams that I coach whenever we, you get the chance to go away to a tournament. We would always visit, visit an art gallery and we'd always go for a walk in a public park, you know, botanical gardens or something, whichever city we went to or town we go to. Um, and just to enjoy not being focused on ball for a while um, or on or on the electronic games um, and I think you know, many teen teenagers and especially many of the students in our school they'd never be exposed to that kind of thing um, and it's just a way of opening up their minds to things outside of the sports game or, or the game on their device they're just little seeds they generate new conversations um, you know, we become what we practice doing so you know we, uh, to answer your question uh, about the mindset, we, we become what we practice doing. So if we practice talking about things other than sports, being students of the world, if you like, rather than just students of your game, um, then I think as coaches we're honouring the craft of being a teacher, a coach and a mentor. Um, coach Rapson sounds very John Woodenish. I've, I've only met him once, um, but I've worked really closely with, with one of his sons. But do you get that? Did you get that vibe from him? Was it? Oh, absolutely. Very similar? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. I know you like John Wooden. Yeah, um, he's on the wall over there, the, the pyramid of success, and um, yeah, and Gareth, you know, he exposed me to those those ways of thinking, and um, yeah, and as you know, we're we're part of a we've got a sports and education class running, and um, for me, that's fantastic because I, and I've, my room that we're sitting in has got lots of sports stuff in it, the teams that I've played and coached and so on, the great great players and they're, they're there to remind me that you know being part of a team is a great feeling being part of a, um, a really successful team is an amazing feeling but um, you don't win all the time uh, if you're going to win it's because you worked really hard and um, you know I do do make lots of references to sports because our kids play sports and so they can understand and if you can make those transfer those those ideas um, into your into your life that you experience in sports, then you know, you're going to be all right. Mm. Um, I think that um, it's really hard though to get a community of coaches across many codes and one school onto the same page, thinking in that same way. And not, I don't, I'm not too sure if New Zealand schools are culturally set up to do that, mm. despite the best efforts of school sports directors and coordinators. Um, individual teams and coaches codes might achieve that kind of culture for a few seasons, but it's awfully hard to sustain that as personnel change and so on. Um, and to do that across the school, that's really, really challenging. And that, that's where I think new, new models of schooling can be successful, though these will usually be um, places that have small numbers to start with, um, have a unique cultural base already in place probably, and they're able to um, effectively instill those values across all their activities. And that's why like, sports academies, yep. um, Takura around the country, uh, even charter schools, yep. uh, they can achieve great success quite quickly because they know what they're on about and they can control and instill the values and build their culture across their program. Um, whereas larger institutions really struggle with culture change because it takes at least a generation of students to pass through the system before new values or a new culture becomes embedded. Um, I've seen that quite clearly in my time here. You know, the school's gone on a bit of a roller coaster journey and to, to change a culture across the school, the staff and the students, it, it takes at least seven years yeah. to get it right and to get it so that it becomes embedded. And, yeah. Uh, the cycles of Euro reviews don't enhance that organic process as managers need faster feedback, affecting quick change across a large number of staff and students is really difficult. It's interesting you say seven years. Like I, I, it's probably taken me four years to really establish um, some of the culture change that I'd like to see from within our students and it, and it relates to the effort in regards to a whole lot of areas. Um, so you're saying if I was to try to consider how I could change that, it would be seven years from now, or could I take that four years of establishing that? Oh, no, it's in the bank, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah I mean, you're, you're, we're, we're constantly rebuilding 
you know, every day we're rebuilding on what yeah. we did the day before as teachers and, um, you know, stopping the reflect, how can we do it better? And so, yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's hard in the class. You know, we have them for three, maybe four hours a week. Um, and then they go off to some other, you know, another teacher, another classroom, another set of ways of doing things. Then they go to another room and they're only with us, you know, in the school for, you know, a third of their, you know, a quarter of their life. So... I'm really envious of the, the new schools that are being built around the country because they can adopt a contemporary approach to, to learning um, and they can get the staff and student mindsets established from the ground up. I saw I one just pop up um, recently, starting next year, uh, run by a DP from um, Hobsonville Point. I'm not sure where she's starting it, but it's a STEM school. And the interesting part that I saw was that they... Um, they had an optional daily boot camp for an hour in the morning because oh, okay. uh, I was kind of wondering where physical education would fit into yeah, that. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't know what that's going to look like. But yeah, the, the potential of something like a charter school. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's um, uh, a number of Pahinga in Christchurch, you know, just really modern approaches to learning. and. Mm. Um, it's it's frustrating when you know that to work in institutions realize that institutions and I think over over thirty years you really build an understanding this is an institution yeah. and that has uh, a lot of power and the, the traditions and connections to a community that's that's yeah. really really uh, amazing and the, the stories that unfold over time but as institutions they're, they're <coughs> hampered by by that reality. That they're hard to change, mm-hmm. uh, to change direction. Uh, they're, they're not agile, you know, to use that that modern word. Speaking of change, we've we've just come off a particularly interesting election period, and and by the time this goes live, we'll either have a new government or maintain the status quo. So, being in the social sciences, it must have been a particularly authentic period of learning for your students. How did you incorporate um, the election within your classroom? Yeah, that's that's the joy of teaching social social studies and social sciences, you know, because as world and national events um, are on our faces or our news feeds every day, um, but that's daunting too because none of it's simple, um, and I guess in particular, uh, trying to simplify factors which are complex is is really challenging. And I think what's more useful than talking about specific issues or policy points. And then the in the current election, just <clears throat> to help students become familiar with the principles of democracy, um, you know, concepts such as transparency and accountability, um, equality, acceptance, um, and like any good learning, it's meaningful if it's relevant. So we start by asking students to identify things that concern them as individuals. Uh, then, as members of a family, are they tuned into the family discussions? You know, do they? Are they starting to frame an understanding of where their family kind of fits into the economy and and so on. Uh, And then as members of communities and then as a nation. uh, If they can do that, then we can more usefully start to discuss Twitter and President Trump and um, and so on. Um, But, you know, the number of citizens who aren't registered is alarming, so you hope that you can plant, plant the... The, the importance of understanding the value of your vote as a citizen in a country um, at a young age, um, and, you know, and, and that you need to vote. Um, and schools have got a democratic responsibility to properly teach citizenship um, and create opportunities for students to be active citizens. Um, and that should be done constantly, not just when the elections roll around mm. every, every mm. three years. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot more work that can be, should be done to, to develop uh, that social awareness of your rights as a citizen and yeah. your, your responsibilities yeah. to participate. Yeah. And, and to do that, you need to, understand, need to understand how the process works and uh, how communities make decisions. You mentioned learning to learn being an important part of education and the NZC says that the curriculum encourages all students to reflect on their own learning processes and to learn how to learn. Is, is that what you mean when you say learning to learn or is it something different? Oh yeah absolutely it's like we discussed before we can't just pay lip service to the idea um, but I believe this is possibly the most critical aspect of education um, at, at this time. You know, we. 
we teach subjects rather than teaching learning, and, and that approach is, is flawed. Um, you know, to maintain the sports thread, it's, it's like with our players. They're athletes first, and then they're players of a particular code. Um, and there are generic processes that a player must go through in order to perform physically in their sport, regardless of the specific ball skills or the conceptual understandings that they're also going to develop. Um, and even if those processes um, occur at the same time as the development of their skills, they're completely aware of the physical assets that they're trying to enhance. Um, you know, that's why they go and run the extra, extra miles. They get into a weights room. Um, and as coaches, we don't, we don't pay lip service um, uh, to those athletic attributes. Uh, we consciously plan for them, we respect them, we understand them intimately. And that intimate knowledge of the athletic requirements uh, is within the context of our sport. Um, but we don't play or coach the sport without giving them proper attention. And that's what's missing from teaching, I think, is that um, in, in the teaching of teaching. Uh, is that respect, planning, and understanding of the learning processes which underpin every subject uh, in the same way that athletic processes under, underpin any sport. And I can understand why it's hard in a secondary school because subject curricula, <clears throat> the other half of the curriculum, and when you talk about the curriculum, most teachers, when you talk about the curriculum, they're talking about their yeah, section, yeah. their, yeah. their essential Not the front end. Cur- not the front end. And the front end is, you, know, you say the New Zealand curriculum states uh, or encourages. Well, that's what it says on paper, but it's actually teachers will encourage um, students to reflect on their learning process processes. But by and large, I think most uh, teachers, and I, I believe most teachers' colleges still just bypass that and go straight to the, <coughs> excuse me, straight to the, the essential learning area that you're going to be teaching in. Yeah. And um, that's, um, you know, I understand that, but, but that subject focus just shoves those other ideas aside, like a playground bully. And that bully's got NZQA, it's got NCA and Eero as sidekicks, you know, standing alongside. And that's a pretty daunting challenge to stand up and say, back off. Or hold up, you know, we haven't run our sprints yet, we haven't got ourselves in shape yet, mm. um, or within our processes we need to be really consciously getting in shape with these skills. Because we just plough on getting through the content, it's a mad race to the next assessment point that's been put into the calendar by somebody else. Um, and we just fail to properly appreciate that many of our students don't have the fitness skills to handle the mental loads of I think you probably just explained the reasoning behind dropping level one. Hobsonville Point don't do oh, that, okay. I think. Yeah. So they they um, know level one, and essentially they're learning to learn yeah. throughout that period because that's that you know they pick up those credits at level two, um, but they they and I don't know the specifics of it. So somebody from Hobsonville Point can probably correct me here, but um, it's all about understanding how to learn and being able to apply all of those concepts and. Um, get away from those challenges and stresses that assessment brings in that, in that transition yeah. from general I mean, you talk to all, you know, most teachers who are teaching NCA, they're, they're all wanting to reduce the number of credits that they're offering. Well, why are they saying that? They're saying that because they want to spend time teaching. They, they want to spend time working on learning. None of us got into teaching to teach, you know, achievement standard 90830, you know, 2.2. We, we're in teaching because we enjoy the process of learning. You know, that's why you know, when I started coaching, I know, yeah, I'll, I want to be a teacher because coaching is so rewarding because you see them, you work your way slowly up the learning curve and then you get over it and individuals get over it at different times, teams get over it at different times. That's the joy of, mm. of teaching. It's not to get this next assessment done and get this next bunch of credits banked for these students. Mm. And the problem is the students are... Uh, you know, a uh, credit farming, and they're not focused on what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah, and this process isn't—it's not just exclusive to students, though. As teachers, do you think we can promote and role model learning to learn through our behaviour and teaching? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Each country's got its equivalent of the key competencies um, as as they are in the New Zealand curriculum, and we're beginning to report on them. But it's a bit of an afterthought, I think. And I think, again, it's just something that we haven't carefully and thoughtfully developed and consciously monitored and planned for from the start of the season in each of our classrooms. And so you've got to make that explicit. And um, 
the work of the British professor Guy Claxton, who I'm sure you've heard of, um, who visits New Zealand frequently, he packages up that delivery and modelling of the key competencies as building learning power, that our competencies are they're like mental muscles and they can be strengthened through conscious training. And those four muscles, he, he talks about resilience, reciprocity, resourcefulness and reflectiveness, they're the same as participating, contributing, relating to others, thinking and managing self. And Claxton talks about speaking learnish as teachers, the, the language of learning. Not elvish, learnish. Oh yeah, learnish, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's really effective if you make it part of your, your patois of expressions, um, consciously talking about it. You know, I really like the way you've, you've been concentrating in the past you know, 10 minutes. Uh, I, you know, you're doing a great job of managing those distractions. Uh, uh, I can see you're really working on different types of thinking and just you know, there's a whole range of things. And, and when you, um, you know, to, but to be effective, you, it requires regular attention and reflection. Uh, and again, that's that. That's, that's why teachers are wanting to get teaching time back to get away from the, the madness of assessment. Um, you know, for example, when we talk about learning attention, learning intentions, uh, I think these should be focused on the attributes or competencies that will be in play during that lesson or unit, so that our students build a real awareness of what they're doing as learners and how they're doing it with other learners. Uh, it's making them think about why they're doing a specific set of activities and that how they do them is just as important. Um, you know, we can get fitter by running shuttles, but we can also get fitter by doing bore drills with accuracy and at high speed. And so we, you know, it's like, we, let, let's, let's do these activities in this way, working with, you know, today we're gonna to be working with other people, we're gonna be listening actively. And so it doesn't, it's just, it's dropping that into their consciousness. Um, and so the success criteria then, they're the specific subject objectives um, that are realized as a consequence of exercising those learning muscles. Um, and when you hear students starting to use the terminology and phrases of learning with each other, um, then you know that they're developing their muscles. Whereas like, it's like with exercise, if you don't consciously use those terms and concepts frequently, um, then learning is creaky and, and uncomfortable. And you always feel like you're having to start over again. Uh, whereas if you're using those muscles all the time, then you, you get stronger. Um, and um, you know, otherwise you don't, <clears throat> you, don't, you don't make significant gains if you're only attending to it sporadically. Um, but parallel to all of that, though, is just the essence of anything which involves other people. It's about establishing common points of interest and, uh, or experience that you can start to relate to each other as people, um, rather than just teacher and student or player and coach. Um, yeah, you can be certain. If you interrogate all, the, all our best experience with teachers and coaches we've had in our lives, they're all based on authentic connections as people. Strong and that, relationships. Yeah, and that's the hardest aspect of teaching. We've got too many people in front of us each day. Um, and so, you know, building a powerful relationship with someone is, can take years. Um, and that's why, you know, extracurricular activity is such a cool part of the teaching journey because that's where you start to build those, those, uh, those better, stronger relationships because mm. they're seeing you in a different light. You're yeah, seeing a little bit more informal. Light. It's voluntary. Yeah. Uh, it usually involves intense periods of effort yeah. uh, and it breaks through that invisible barrier which exists in the more formal structure of a classroom. Um, yeah, just referring back to that story about us visiting art galleries, uh, that's just a way of enriching the narrative. Um, so we're not just coach and player, we can connect as an art lover and a curious kid. Um, and that that's always is the beginning point for my teaching that the reality of 120 kids yeah. <laughs> makes it hard to get to know, you know them the way you really would like to. Mm. And the moment, you know, when you when you have battles with kids, usually the, the key to over to changing that narrative is to find out more about each other. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that uh, as teachers, we need to remind ourselves why we got into teaching. Mm. You talked about. Um training muscles and stuff like that you've been upskilling yourself through the mind lab which is very similar you're, you're wanting to develop your knowledge and understanding so what, what's been the best takeaway from that 
Um, well, you know, we live in wild, wild, wild times in education, and the rates of technological cultural change are just, you know, crazy. Um, not just in schools, in any workplace. And so understanding change is critical for teachers and especially for managers. And the MindLab courses, um, they're specifically targeted at teachers and they, they immerse you in the world of digital innovation, which uh, said that the, the other students who were on the course that I did, the post-grad certificate, um, we all came, to, came with it from varying aspects of digital learning and applications and so on. Um, but it exposes you to the discomfort of learning. Here's an app you haven't seen that you didn't find, and we're we're showing it to you now. Go and start using it, and it's awkward, and that's that's a really you know good thing to you know to experience. Is we forget what learning is like, and but, and so they pair that process with studies about change management, and that's similar to understanding how critical the key competencies are to every subject. If managers don't thoroughly understand the nature of change and how to manage it, then you end up with ineffective change. And um, the MindLab approach mixes practical and individual discovery of digital apps and modern pedagogy, but gives you some armour to approach the process of change within our schools. Um, yeah, and I think you know, teachers, we're intimately, we're, sorry, we're innately, we're change managers. Um, but finding a pathway through the digital forest, that can be lonely. You know, we all do it in our classrooms and we the, the opportunities to actually sit and engage with other teachers are so limited that we're all you know wandering through the forest kind of by ourselves and so um, MindLab just gives you some kind of uh, new compass points to help you on that on that process and that it's all right to be a little bit lost but you can go and find some direction here what's what's the average age of the students in your cohort as you went through does it tend to be older teachers uh, yeah I would say they were the vast majority were at least probably at least five years, probably more like ten years of experience. Through to some that were, um, you know, lifelong teachers. That's um, a, that's a good thing. Eh? I mean, that's that says to me that teachers, uh, these teachers, are prepared to embrace change and acknowledging maybe their shortcomings and and the current environment and wanting to get better so they can pass they can deliver better teaching to their to their learners. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I agree entirely. Um, I mean, when I started teaching, we still had film projectors. We had to thread them on, thread the film on. We had Gestetner yeah, machines. I remember those. I think I've mentioned that one to you before. <laughs> Gestetner machines. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Um, <laughs> well, we still had uh, OH, OHPs when, I, when yeah, I started yeah, teaching. Yeah, I've still got OHP resources with, yeah. that I go, oh, I wish this was in digital stuff, but it's, now I can just scan it with my, with my phone. Um, yeah, and we've, we've, we've had to navigate our way through many radical changes in technologies and access to information, let alone changes to the curriculum and, and all of that. Um, and we don't realise at the time just how well we've embraced and coped with innovation and change, and it creates a flexible and adaptive mindset. Um, of course, there are some who might have resisted changes, and they require support too. And the MyLab um, teachings, they ask us to get that, to, under, to appreciate that, understand that, and that's why I think is really, really valuable about their approach to, to learning. Mm. And next year you're you're embarking on an interesting challenge from term two onwards. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, um, well, hopefully it's more than just a single challenge. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've received a study grant, a study award to complete um, a master's in contemporary education through MindLab. So that will continue some of that inquiry work that I started in their, their postgrad certificate course. Um, I just, you know, there's huge value in being a student um, because it informs our understanding of learning, um, which can only help our teaching. Um, I'm intending to explore the potential for social media applications to build communities of connected learners who talk about learning. And um, that's a real critical challenge for our boys. Uh, to consciously structure opportunities for them to engage in serious conversations. Because if they can learn to really talk about their learning, which is a serious business, and if they can experience being focused on those discussions, just like they can be focused on the discussion about the game on Saturday, 
or the, or the game last weekend or the school dance or whatever it may be. If they can be really focused on discussions about learning and the discomfort of learning <coughs> and share that with their peers, then they're better prepared to hold conversations about other aspects of their lives. Um, and I think there's a real imperative to explore that, especially for our Māori and Pacifica students. Yeah, I, I, I envy you and what you're doing because I just, uh, formal education for myself, I, I, I don't think I could do it. Informal, yeah, I love that, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, oh, I want to yeah. launch a podcast, right, I'm going to invest 40 hours over the next two weeks to learn how to do it. Mm. I love doing that yeah. and, and I love learning, but man, having to do assessments and deadlines, you start seeing why your students might dislike education. Yeah, absolutely, mm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, <clears throat> I've been saying, I mean, I have not wanted to do my master's, um, hadn't wanted to do any postgrad. So, because I've never seen a course that went, oh, this looks interesting. This doesn't look boring, doesn't just look academic. It looks interesting. It looks, it's innovative. Um, and so, when the MindLab courses were set up you know, a couple of years ago, they really caught my eye. And, and then when I went and did it, I thought this is, it was, it was really affirming of all the knowledge and experiences that I had built up over time. Um, and so, um, seeing that you know, now there's an opportunity to do to do the masters and you know, have the study leave to do it, that's that's pretty cool. It's obviously a massive, massive, not risk, but it's a massive step to take by um, stepping outside of what you're comfortable with your current position um, and take study leave. What advice, or how did you come to that decision first of all, and then what advice could you give to another teacher who might be considering heading down the same path? Um, well, yeah, after 30 years of continuous teaching, I know that I'll benefit immensely from some time away from the rigors of classroom teaching. And, um, you know, I'm pretty aware I've spent too much time doing others ahead of myself. It's, you know, I think that's what brought me into teaching is, you know, coaching and working with people. And throughout my time, I've always looked for those extra opportunities outside of the classroom to, to be involved in in the life of a school and that's what brings most of us teaching that that altruism and we immerse ourselves but we don't realize that we're not spending quite enough energy looking after ourselves um, so hopefully this break from the classroom will help me to recalibrate in that respect i probably should have done it at least five years ago but again the, the right course wasn't there to go yeah i, I want to go and do this masters so that i can also apply for a study ward and, and get some time away from the classroom but now that the, the mind lab courses are there I go yeah this is the kind of thing that I want to explore and I didn't I, you know you come to really appreciate what you what knowledge and um, skills you have brought up and familiarity with you know with, with digital learning familiarity with the processes of change because you've been doing it all that time and to be able to actually then go and apply it to some you know, formal study and get rewarded for it that that's that's nice um you raise a good point about um some time for yourself and i see all these young teachers come in and they are just giving everything everything and they can't do that because they're not going to last no and like myself i i commit an hour you know my time every single day is is just me and usually that's me in the weights room just by myself headphones and I might listen to a book, I might listen to music, it's just me and my thoughts, whatever, but that one hour a day, you know, no one can take that from me, and that's where I, I guess that I gain my refreshment from mm. the rigours of the day, mm. and and teachers need to consider that more, I think, they need to think about how they can look after themselves, how they consider their order and and what that means for them. Yeah, I mean, we, we make, we don't know, but we, we make huge emotional investments every day yeah. because we're working with people, but we're not just working with the same old people, you know, kind of across the office. These are, you know, classroom of 20 dynamic, unique, you know, individuals who are learning about life and learning you know, and going through incredible, you know, transformations. And we're not a nine to five either. And yeah, exactly. We're not, we're not a nine to five. And, and then when you put the extracurricular stuff on top of that as well, even though it's kind of part of the essence of schools in New Zealand anyway, um, then it, that's, that's, that's a hugely um, taxing commitment, even though you enjoy it while you're doing it, and we all collapse at the end of the term and, and so on and appreciate the, 
break from the kids, but um, yeah, yeah, I think we need we need training in how to be how to look after ourselves, and that's that's not unique to schools, but other schools have their own set of you know, particular experiences which make that even more important. So one bit of advice you could give to another teacher who might be thinking about investing oh, in some yeah, study? Um, yeah, I mean, finding the right course, you've got to do it for the right reasons. You, know, you don't want to go into academic study to get a break. Yeah. You, need go, you need to go into academic study because you want to work your brain and you think you've found the, the area that you want to do it and then you need the time and space to, to approach it properly. Um, I'd probably su- suggest to, to try what you know what I did, which was to do a do a part time own time certificate course of some kind or a diploma course to get a taste for it, um, and and the you know the expectations of academic um, essays and, and and so on. That's that that's still not the enjoyable thing, mm. but there are you know it's, it's much easier than ever used to be to do that kind of thing. But do that first to get a taste for it and understand the the sort of thinking that goes behind it. I think that's what I really enjoy is the, the thinking. Yeah. The writing the essays, that was actually really straightforward. Yeah. Uh, and mine they were good because they allowed you to present that you know, they're part of their process, right? You're gonna present your uh, your submission is gonna be done through a blog or it's gonna be a video. Uh, so it forced you to get into spaces that you might not have been in previously. And, and that, that helps you when you come back to your classroom. So yeah, I'd certainly encourage teachers to pursue them because they're there for us, yeah. you know, for us as people, not as teachers. Mm. And I, I just speaking on my lab, I, I love listening to, to Frances speak. I've heard her speak. Yeah. Have, have you actually yeah. heard her speak? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen her speak. She's, yeah. she's yeah. amazing. I've, I've heard her live twice now. Um, and she's just, um, I think one of her titles was Futurist or, or something yeah, along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the insight she has is is amazing. Yeah, I mean they just and they, yeah they're, they're, like they had their their base out in Petone in Wellington. Um, it, it's just a cool space to be in. You know, I want my classroom to be like this. I want you know, mm. and it's so you can yeah you bring back little bits and you bring back a, a, a refreshed mindset. I don't think you go to that course with with no. With, you, you go there with the right kind of mindset anyway, and that, that, that's a place that really feeds it and nurtures it and um, helps you to see what's possible. Because, you know, in this thing, schools need innovators. So they need people who are leading change. Otherwise, you get completely you know, stuck in the past. Um, and, and those teachers need to be nurtured when they go back to their schools. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a tricky thing to achieve. So last question, being the basketball convener at Rongatai, we are going through a pretty exciting period having made nationals for the first time in 20 years. What are your predictions for the team heading into this tournament next week? Yeah, this is, this is, this is a cool story because it's, it's not hard, sorry, it's hard to get to nationals, especially out of a basketball city and region like the Lower North Island and a city like Wellington. There's a lot of really uh, great programs that have been great for a long period of time and uh, you know, and we all go on our roller coaster journey, and we're peaking right now. We're at the, climbing up the top, and we're going to enjoy the, the ride um, for the next you know couple of years. Um, this this year's team, they're on a special part of their journey um, coming up, and I've been really impressed how they've grown in just the past month. They're young, they're hungry, they're talented, but they're underdogs, um, and that means they've got to be able to learn quickly. Uh, and that's what they've been doing. They've got a really good seeding for the national tournament. Uh, I really hope they can get to the quarterfinals because uh, that will be a you know, fantastic achievement after a 20-year absence. Um, with Chris Tupu, um, who I coached when he was a student mm-hmm. here, um, and Zika Coronel, we've got two outstanding coaches. And what's been great, because they're on our teaching staff, they're able to do those extra hours of quality lunchtime work with our premier seniors and juniors. That's a key ingredient in the recipe for success. Uh, we had that back in the 90s, uh, when I coached with, um, with Gareth Rapson together here, we were doing it every lunchtime, and, and that's a very cool thing to be part of, um, because it gives you the edge in so many games. Um, and I know that you know the players and, and our senior team and, and the appearance, they're really thriving as the story is unfolding um, at, at each stage of the season. They've got some pretty strong schools in their pool. They've got Westlakes in their pool. But that can only enhance the learning process um, for yeah. them. 
Uh, those schools have got a good reason to be weary of us. Um, but yeah, I predict 2018 next year, that's when they'll fight to get to the, to the final and, and, and crack, crack a title. Um, but what happens at this tournament is going to lay the foundations for that challenge. Yeah, no, I mean, it's exciting. And, you know, I've been a basketballer myself. It's always been a dream as a player and a coach to get a, a school to um, nationals and, and seeing the work that Chris has put in. Mm. And, and having him on staff as well and Zico, it's not only do you get that extra um, coaching during lunch times and stuff like that, but it's also the relationships yeah, that those right. staff members form with. Yeah. They have that extra bit of... Um, students have that extra bit of trust in them because they see them day in and day out and they can relate to them better and I think that would have contributed as well a lot of the bigger schools these days I think bring in external coaches with all these qualifications and stuff like that but you can't end of the day you know relationships all about relationships you've got solid relationships with your your students Um, so yeah no we're really you know, excited by where they're at and look forward to uh, yeah we've, we've been there before we've, we've, we've done the journey we know what it, yep. we know what involves we know how know how it feels as, as players and as, and as coaches it's such a such a cool cool place to be in you know win or lose mm. it's it's and they know the, the experiences that they get from this tournament and next year and so on they'll last with them forever yeah they will uh, so yeah I'm, I'm really excited for them hey Matt thanks for sitting down and having a chat I We've had a lot of discussions in passing, but they've mm, only been mm. kind of five-minute discussions before we've got to get back to the real world side. But you've been on my mind to sit down and, and do this podcast interview with because I knew it would be a good conversation, and it has been. So um, it was good to hear about your experience, and particularly around your experience being in a school for so long, and I think you established some really good ideas and um, around that culture and stuff like that. So it was, it was a good mm, discussion. Mm. And, uh, all the best for next year I think that's exciting for you and I think you'll do really well and uh, come back kicking ass yeah it's, um, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very excited by what the range of things that I'm going to be able to do you know, even like you know being able to pick up my boy from school you know at three o'clock <laughs> every day and uh, I was thinking just yesterday I was going oh we need a bike we need bikes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we can bike home yeah. together and, and just be able to do cool things like that it's, uh, it's going to be fun all right cheers so, man. Yeah, thanks Carl.